Today on the ZabeCast, Phil Mickelson is sorry. Better late than never, right? Does this now end the L'Affaire du Mickelson? Hot dog to the face! Jeff Triplett is on TV now? And an easy way to keep from getting groped on a flight. Andy Poland joins me in studio today. So if you've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Thursday, June 21, 2018, summer solstice 2018, the longest day of the year, the most daylight that we will have in the northern hemisphere all season long, technically not everywhere, certain parts of the northern hemisphere will have a bit longer day, a bit longer of a day uh, in a few days, uh, or they've already had it. By a few days, but for the most part, good old North America, the U.S. of A., today is the longest day of the year. And as always, I must honor Summer Solstice with a little snippet of two of my favorite Summer Solstice-related songs. What? Summer Solstice songs? Yes! Stonehenge, baby! This from the Washington Post dot com's capital weather gang talking about the summer solstice little five point explainer piece point number five is what's the deal with stonehenge well yeah as you're about to hear from my friend y elvis what's the deal with stonehenge humans throughout history writes the capital weather gang have celebrated the solstices with rituals such as bonfires and ceremonial dances to mark the passage of the seasons Some ancient cultures, such as the Mayan or Aztec cultures, built special monuments to mark the sun's changing path in the sky. Stonehenge, built more than 5,000 years ago in modern-day England, is perhaps best known of these prehistoric landmarks. Some historians think the large circle of freestanding stones was once a solar calendar to track the seasons. That's because on the summer solstice, the rising sun aligns perfectly with the structure's heel stone positioned outside of the structure's main circle. Now, thousands of people flock to Stonehenge each, Stonehenge each year to celebrate the solstices and the equinoxes, many of them decked out in traditional pagan garb. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I love it. So I got two songs, of course, with Stonehenge, and maybe the only two songs ever recorded. The first one being The Great Spinal Tap. Stonehenge. Hundreds of years before the dawn of history. Michael McKeon, Christopher Guest, and of course Harry Shearer, a cult classic, Spinal Tap. This song, like a lot of songs on their album, were actually decent songs. In fact, I kind of like this one here. Here we go. Oh, wait a minute. One more here. The big thing was their girlfriend, the band's girl, uh, Michael McKeon's uh, girlfriend. She designed the Stonehenge monuments that would drop down from the rafters and put inches on the measurement instead of feet with two tick marks, not one. So they had a tiny little Stonehenge, which was in danger of being trampled by dwarves. Nearly broke the band up right there. Here we go. Here we go. Stonehenge. 
As I understand it, maybe I'm wrong, you can correct me, they all played their instruments and they all sang. I don't know who wrote the songs, but this is a good, this is a solid song. Listen to the harmonies. Now, of course, it's a totally silly song with ridiculous lyrics, but still. Pretty good song. Stonehenge by the good old boys at Spinal Tap. This, though, is my favorite Stonehenge-related song by a guy named Y. Elvis, who has done a number of spoof songs. I don't know his full background. I could have researched it. Nice work on the Zapecast. I know. I didn't get to it. I was busy cutting up the essence of this song Stonehenge but it if you think that I'm a weirdo nerd for loving this song hey I'm with 30 million other people on YouTube Prison far too easy to escape. I love this bridge right here. Listen to this bridge. It's building, rising up an octave. Don't sing, Zabe. how good the backing vocals are that is some excellent musicianship right there i dropped it out because i'm gonna play it on my show today but still dude let's build a henge or two and of course if you're like me and you like silly well-produced stupid songs then you'll love the video by Y. Elvis. And I did tweet these out on my Twitter feed, so check them out at Zabe on Twitter. But there you go. Your your summer solstice special. One time a year, I play snippets from two of my favorite Stonehenge-related songs. They're the only Stonehenge songs in the world. Maybe. Maybe if there's another Stonehenge song, do let me know. The big news of the day yesterday was that Jeff Triplett recently put out the pasture finally by the NFL and their refereeing department has landed like a cat on his feet with a cushy new gig at ESPN's Monday Night Football to replace Jerry Austin as the guy to explain what the rules are. This is straight comedy. This is trolling, if it's anything. This can't be 
real. Jeff Triplett, who every ref, who every NFL fan has known for a long time, has been one of the weakest referees ever in the league. Unsure of himself, often wrong about the actual application of rules, a lack of crew command. There, just if you don't believe me on all this, just Google Jeff Triplett screw up. And I'm not even counting the fact that he blinded Orlando Brown with a flag that was thrown too sharp, too horizontally, that had ball bearings in the uh, weighting of it and caught him right in the eye. I'm not even counting that. That, that to me, was a, was a cosmic mistake that y- you have a hard time blaming him for. Although I think since that time, since that incident, they made the referees uh, weight their flags with popcorn or something lighter and I think they instructed them to not throw the flags horizontally where they could come in through the bars of the face mask and hit somebody in the eye. So I'm not even counting that on Triplet. I'm just saying all the other times he screwed up games in a variety of fashions, just being unsure of the actual rules, misapplying the rules, botching calls, botching explanations, uh, seeing things that nobody else saw, and generally having a lack of a command of his crew. He's now going to be ESPN's guy to sit there on TV and explain things. It's, it's, it's It really makes me think, and normally this is just a joke, this is just an aside, that you know he must have photos of somebody somewhere. Okay. Normally it's just a joke, but I'm going to tell you, I saw a story about this in which one source believes the NFL nudged ESPN to hire triplet this year. Now, if that doesn't scream, oh my God, he does have photos. He actually has photos of the commissioner with a goat or something compromising. And if not photos, maybe emails. What what does he know? Why is the league so vested in, all right, well, we got to give old Jeff Triplett a job now. By the way, Jeff Triplett, an American hero, war hero, Gulf War, Bronze Star recipient uh, in the North Carolina Army Reserve. So... Sir, to you, thank you for your service. Not a good referee, though. And I can't believe he's now going to be on television. So this is a 48-yard extra point and a conference. You ever seen one of these? That's correction on the, on the previous <laughs> announcement. Okay. Since the foul occurred on a touchdown, we can't bank that foul. We can't enforce that foul on the try. It will be enforced on the kickoff. Yeah, that's what we thought because that was the end. We had the same thing before. We even asked the question. By the way, you know, the rule book is so laughably dense and complex. Every referee in the league, including one of the greats, Ed Hockley, who also retired this year, had a hard time explaining a lot of rules and a lot of calls. So, yeah, it's not just him. Section 47, subchapter 12. B3. Al Michaels making fun of the rule book right there. So we'll see. I tell you what, it's going to give us material. There's no question about that. This is an easy summertime topic. Hot dog to the face. Happened in Philadelphia with a woman who was not ready to catch, deflect, or otherwise duck a projectile-launched hot dog from the Philadelphia, from the Philly Fanatic and his Philly Fanatic hot dog launching cart. 
This apparently a staple of Phillies games has been for some time. The hot dogs that are launched free into the crowd as a delicious edible souvenir of sorts are actually wrapped in duct tape so they don't disintegrate. Because that was the first problem with trying to... Somebody had a great idea, make no mistake. They said, let's use one of these pneumatic tubes to launch food, maybe a hot dog, into the stands and somebody can catch it and go, hmm, delicious. Sort of a riff on the t-shirt cannon. Well, the early efforts to launch hot dogs much like the early efforts of probably the space program, were disastrous in that the hot dogs would disintegrate due to the extreme G-forces. Well, they apparently have now fortified the hot dogs with maybe an extra layer of aluminum foil and duct tape. Well, that can lead to some problems sometimes, like this story of one Kathy McVeigh of Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. ...with a strange story involving the fanatic a hot dog, and a head injury. On Monday, the green mascot shot a free meal high into the stands with his iconic cannon. By the way, this anchor in uh, Philadelphia Channel 6, he's going places. He has a very good voice. It's a little bit pukey, but it's just a, a, just touch, a touch of it. A very rich voice. He has in perfect, impossibly perfect hair, and he just looks great on television. He's like a Brian Williams clone without the line. Hitting a Montgomery County woman square in the face. And here's a sentence I never thought I'd say. But if you thought a bun and a sausage couldn't really hurt anyone, frankly, think again. Uh-huh. Action News' Sarah Bloomquist live in Plymouth meeting frankly. this afternoon to explain just what caused all this damage. Siri- I love how it's like, well, let's go live uh, to our Action News reporter on the scene. In the house of this woman, Ms. Kathy McVeigh, who got hit in the face by a hot dog launch from a cannon. There's injuries here, Sarah. Yeah, Brian, and trust me, this is not what Kathy McVeigh wanted to be known for. Monday night at the... What did she want to be known for? I have no idea. Phillies game. She got hit right between the eyes by a hot dog fired from the Fanatics hot dog cannon. The injury's bad enough she got sent to the emergency room. Now she has a message for other Phillies fans. Oh, my gosh. I never thought a hot dog could hurt. (laughs) Kathy McVeigh did get hurt. Her face is pretty jacked up. She's got a good shiner on her right eye, and she's got abrasions on the bridge of her nose. I can't imagine, though, at the emergency room, them hustling her ahead of somebody with a real medical emergency. Just like in this YouTube video posted by Major League Baseball. Keep in mind, the Fanatics hot dogs are wrapped in duct tape. And one landed squarely between McVeigh's eyes. And then, next thing I know, he he shot it in our direction, and... Bam. Now, you're probably wondering, wait a minute, why didn't she just reach up and catch it or deflect it? Well, there's a story behind that as well. It hit me like a a ton of bricks. My glasses. No, no, it hit you like a hot dog wrapped in tinfoil, which not a lot of mass there. It hit me like a ton of bricks. No, no, if you'd hit you like a ton of bricks, you'd know it. Flew. She says she couldn't catch or swat it away because she has a shoulder injury that requires surgery in the coming days. Yeah, what, on both shoulders? You can't hot dog deflect with your left arm? Come on, lady. That night, she ended up in the emergency room to make sure she didn't suffer a concussion. (laughs) A concussion. A concussion. Get out of here. Get out of my face with that crazy crap. A concussion. Yes, she's on the uh, she's on the concussion protocol. Uh, she's out for several weeks because of a hot dog to the face. In the face! 
Nothing's broken, thank God. But Th- thank God, yes, indeed. You know, it's going to be. <laughs> it's sore. It's very sore. Kathy McVeigh loves the Phillies and doesn't plan to take legal action. Ah, but- uh, hold on a second. Don't be so quick to say that. You get, you probably get something out of this. But she does have a message for fans. Just to be aware, you know, because you never know. You know, I mean, you-, you never know. Life is short. One day you're just enjoying the Phillies. Next day you're getting hit with a ton of bricks to your face, which is really just a hot dog wrapped in duct tape. You would think, I understand a baseball, but not a hot dog. (laughs) And yes, she does understand if her story gets a few laughs. It gives people a good laugh, and if that makes somebody chuckle, then that's fine. You know what, Ms. McVeigh, you're a sweet lady. You have made us laugh, and we're not blaming you. Although, let's be honest, using that shoulder injury, to say, well, that's why I didn't deflect it. Kind of weak. Kind of weak. If you're going to go to a game with a shoulder injury, you better be ready to deflect. Deflect. Left hand deflect. <laughs> She's a good sport about it. The Phillies did reach out to Kathy directly yesterday to apologize. A spokesperson told me today that the Fanatic feels terrible about this. Yeah, I'm sure the Fanatic is devastated. Nobody's ever been injured by a flying hot dog at Citizens Bank Park before. Well, now they have. They've offered Kathy free tickets when she's feeling up to returning to a game again. (laughs) I just love it. Action News 6 on the case. (sighs) According to a 2002 Cardoza Law Review article, the Philly Fanatic is the, quote, most sued mascot in the majors. (laughs) Now that's a distinction right there. All right, real quick. Phil Mickelson has apologized for his slap putt at the U.S. Open. Does this now essentially end the whole situation? Here's the actual quote. Didn't say this in front of microphones or in front of the media. He issued a, not even a statement per se. He just let, he told a reporter this and it got disseminated such. But Mickelson said, quote, I know this should have come sooner, but it's taken me a few days to calm down. My anger and frustration got the best of me last weekend. I'm embarrassed and disappointed by my actions. It was clearly not my finest moment, and I'm sorry. Fine. I wasn't asking for an apology. I don't need an apology. I don't care. This is your reputation. It's better late than never. It's at least a step in the right direction to say, you know what? I was not going to outrun this by pretending like, ah, no big deal, and I was being so smart with the rules and finding a loophole to exploit. And I only took a 10 on that hole, and instead, you know, I I only took a 10, and and I'm so great. I shot 81. It's fantastic. Nobody was buying that. Nobody was looking at that like, wow, that's really great. Wow, we're going to have to close that loophole because, boy, lots of people are going to be doing that. No. Nobody's going to be doing that. Only douchebags who are frustrated would be doing that. So, fine for Mickelson. I just, again, he says, my ang- it took me a few days to calm down. You looked calm on Saturday. You looked calm on Sunday. And I'm embarrassed and disappointed by my actions. Well, now you're embarrassed and disappointed, but you weren't on Saturday after the round and again on Sunday. Eh, I'll leave it there. I'm not beating the guy up. Whatever. He did the right thing. I'm sure his wife got to him. I'm sure his agent got to him. I'm sure friends got to him and said, Phil, this is a bad look. 
take this coat that you have picked up and put on and throw it in the trash. You don't want to be known for this. You don't want to carry this forward. This is a dead-end loser proposition for you. And I think after thinking about it for a couple days, Phil said, yeah, you know what? You're right. All right, had a chance to catch up with my buddy Andy Poland. Actually paid a home visit to the home studios of the Team 980 high above Rockville Pike. All right, Andy <laughs> Poland is with me. Look at these digs. We, I wish I had a, a video stream of this. In the old ESPN 980 studios, high above Rollins Avenue and Rockville Pike. Welcome back, Andy. Welcome it's good back. to be back. Um, as I look longingly at the apartment complex, which used to be the site of putt-putt golf. <laughs> <laughs> How many hours did you spend in this very studio total? Let's and it would, it would have all been with me. Because at that time, we were together as a team. So how many hours did we spend in this studio, do you think? Yeah, when I did Tony's show, we did it in another studio. Uh, but you and I, three hours a day. Three hours a day for, for 15 years? I don't know if we did years. 15, 13, 14, and two, two different stints. I know when Sean Taylor died, we had the Mike and Mike show. So Doc Walker and I, I think over a course of three days, did about 12 or 13 hours together. Really? Yeah, because wow. remember, he was, he was shot on a Sunday. He lived through Monday, so he did shows of, oh, God, you know, what's, what's going to happen, yeah. and da 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 And then I, I think I heard it on your morning show. Which, that he had died. That he had died, and then we came in, and we were called in to do uh, some more hours. Until happened local. five minutes before we went on air. And it was a gut punch. He was like, what? Yeah. Because, unfortunately, Vinny ran his freaking mouth <laughs> and said, oh, I think he's made a turn for the better, right? Yeah. Didn't Vinny say something well, like that? Well, he said he squeezed somebody's hand or he made eye yeah. contact or some nonsense like that. Yeah. Anyway, well, we've got news, Andy. We've lost our hockey coach. How do you like that? Yeah. Uh, what is your take on the great trots walk of 2018? Well... First of all, his agent clearly didn't see the market when he had what Ted Leonsis was claiming, a contract extension that kicked in once he won the Cup. Let's start with that. Ted, for all of his things he doesn't do great, keeps the best lid on secret contracts. Ernie got extended. Yeah. And we never knew about it. Well, that's one until of the... it was broken after the fact by Mike Wise. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those odd ones where you have to keep it from the fans that yes. your general manager has how, been extended. How amazing is it that we all thought Trotz was a free agent coach, and then oh no, no, if you won the cup, that's a two year extension, but only a three hundred thousand dollar raise. Yeah. So his, his agent clearly didn't see the market, uh, but then when they announced that Trotz was leaving, Brian McClellan, who uh, from what I've heard, the relationship between the two of them wasn't very good, and it was exacerbated by Todd Reardon getting promoted to associate coach last year with a contract extension. And McClellan getting an extension without Trotz getting one. Right. So, so it was yeah, sticky. Trotz knew it was cold right. in that room. But then he said at the news conference that the five years was a sticking point. Now, in McClellan pro- said that. Yeah. In, in years where I was growing up, if a team won a championship – the general manager would get an extension with, and we're, or the coach would get an extension with, we're so happy to lock up the best coach in hockey for the next five years, and right. we feel great about that. But he said, no, you know, then it would be like nine years total, and, you know, nine that's years. a long, long time. time you know? <laughs> I mean, that's, that, to me, like, it would be like, if, let's say Joe Gibbs won his first Super Bowl, right. and that was in his second year, and maybe he had only a two-year contract. 
And Jack King Cook said, eh, we were going to give him another three years, but then he would have been here five, and that seems like a lot. You know, we had we had a Jack party here for three, and that was enough. Plus, you know how long he had been in Nashville, right? Fifteen years. Fifteen years. Yeah. So I, I think this is one of these moves where Ted better damn hope. He better damn hope that this works out. If they miss the playoffs, this is really bad. Your boy Lovey did a great job of pretty much – laying all the cards on the table saying, look at these coaches that Ted has cycled through yeah. that couldn't do it at the NHL level. From Bruce Cassidy to Bruce Boudreaux, although Cassidy's back in the league. Boudreaux did pretty right. well. He Boudreaux just, did okay, but he hadn't, he consistently loses in the playoffs, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, and he couldn't okay. get along with Ovechkin, ultimately. And there that, was that as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, Adam Oates stunk. Yeah. Dale Hunter didn't even want to do it. They had to twist his arm, and he mm-hmm. lasted one year and done. Well, he's the one that uh, kept Ovi on the bench, though. That's I know. You know he did well in that playoff series, which they I lost. Know. I know, so, I know, I know. Yeah, and, and look, all the coaches, this has happened before. They go into the last year of their contract without an extension. So they're lame duck. He's, he's didn't, he did this with Randy Whitman. Uh, right. And I think he's done it with a couple of hockey coaches, too. He did it with his general manager. George McPhee went into a lame duck year. Do you understand the thinking of billionaire owners to be this penny-pinching on coaches when they will spend freely on players? Because I don't. Yeah. I, I don't get it. I, I guess it's a separate budget. That's the way they look at it. Like, there's a player budget and there's a coach budget. Because the learners are doing the same thing. I know. Which and, I think is insane. Yeah, look, I, I, if they'd have stayed with Davey, if they'd have stayed with Dusty, we might have a World Series by now. Right. So well, why do you think billionaires think that way? Is it the ego of, yeah, yeah, you're not a player. Mm-hmm. Players are rare commodities that have to be purchased at exorbitant sums. You're just management. You coach. Yeah. You're like us up here in the front office. You think you know more than we do, but we watch you every day. We talk to you every day. Mm. We talk to the players all the time. You're not any better than us. Well, Is that how they think of coaches? Snyder's paid coaches. Snyder, I know. Snyder paid Gibbs. He, I know. He paid Shanahan. He paid Spurrier. Spurrier had an unbelievable contract for its he time. Did. So he he's not afraid I'm to not pay saying- coaches. Paying coaches is a guarantor of success. Right. I'm saying I don't understand how owners who are billionaires get so penny pinching on coaches' salaries. Maybe they're afraid to keep ratcheting up the market mm-hmm. for the rest of their billionaire brethren. Yeah. Nah. You don't think that could well, be it? That's not what Snyder did. I mean, he he reset the market on three times, I think. Okay. Um, but you know, so I, you would have brought back trots. Right. If yeah, but but I understand. At five for twenty-five, would you write that check? Because I would. I would I'd be like, "Welcome back. Now I, get out of my office, right? Unless you need more money, and then come see me, because Stanley Cup champions." Right. But at the other side of it is, he says to Trotz, "Well, I got a piece of paper here with your signature on it, which says a two-year extension kicks in with a three hundred thousand dollar raise. I want to enforce that contract." You know, when Joe Gibbs retired the first time after the ninety. Two season. Remember that? They won the Super Bowl 91, 92. They made the playoffs but were eliminated. Lost this, to the Bears at home. I right? think they lost to the Niners on the road. It was the second. Oh, right, right, yeah. right. Okay, right, right. so that was that was the 92 team, which, which really struggled. And salary cap was coming. He knew he was going to have to part with a bunch of veterans. Mm-hmm. His health was a problem. Rip, Rippon had turned back into a pumpkin, basically. Yeah, all that. And so he, he left. Now, he left with time left on his contract. He sat out for that season, the 93 season. At the end of the season, 
the the expansion Carolina Panthers had come in. They were getting ready to play for 1995, I think. Yeah. 95 was their first year. So they said at the end of the 93 season, uh, we'd like to talk to Coach Gibbs about becoming our coach. Gibbs wanted to be the coach. He was at least interested in talking about mm. it. But Jack Ken Cook said, no, 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 no. I got a contract here right. which says you're the Redskin coach through the end of the 94 season. Right. And if you want to talk to them, you're going to – I don't know whether you wanted a buyout. But he also said, I've got your checks here on on my desk if you want to come get them because <laughs> he had already fired Richie Pettibone at the end of the year. So I don't think Ted could do that with trots. I'm not sure. but Well, then you get into offset language too. Remember yeah. when Marty got booted after one year here? Yeah. He went to work for the Chargers – but he had to give some money back, I think. Well, the also offset language in the deal, right? And and what what the Chargers paid him was deducted from what Snyder owed him for three more years. Oh, it was okay. Yeah, that's how they that probably signed him for very cheap, if I recall. Yeah, whatever it was, <laughs> forty-five grand a year with <laughs> yeah. two weeks of vacation. Exactly. How's that work for you, yeah. Marty? Yeah. And Dan, you can pick up the rest. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that works. All right, so do you feel sorry for Trotz? No. Well, wow, that was quick. No. Why should you feel sorry for him? He got fucked. Well, I don't know if you know. You know, look. He won the cup. He won what the cup. What more could he do? He won. He did what he had to do. But I understand his agent was really foolish to work out a contract. Well, that see, that's the thing. Like, if, you know, his agent should have written in there, if my guy wins the Stanley Cup, it's a $10 million bonus. Yeah. And then if the owner balks at that, like, whoa, whoa, you say, I'm sorry, if they win the cup, you're not going to care about $10 million. Mm-hmm. You make $10 million in T-shirt sales. Yeah, but did, did when he signed the contract think, capital, Stanley Cup? Sure, I'll sign that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I guess he thought, okay, two more years of security, but not much more money. Although that was five years ago, and in the five yeah. years, you know, the salaries have exploded. They have. Uh, what if Trotz had said, oh, no. No, you're going to have to fire me because I want a coach here at below market rates with my modest $300,000 bump. Oh, I think they would have been happy to have him back for that, don't you? No, because they had lined up Reardon. Okay, but the if Reardon you... era was to begin. I think they would have had to have fired him. Do you think that they looked at Reardon the way the Redskins longingly look at Sean McVay in that you know, he's the young, great coach that's going to be the future of the NHL, and they want to make sure he doesn't get away? I don't know. I guess that, you know, he and McClellan go back to their Bowling Green days, or so I heard. So, you know, friends hire friends. Yeah. You know it in, well, in, in that business and in other businesses. Our friend Al Koken uh, was on with Tom and me uh, last weekend, and he mm-hmm. was, this was before Trotz was out, and he was singing the praises of Reardon to the sky. He, he said the players love him change the defense okay oh yeah so the the younger players especially really like okay well if it works out it's all it's all gravy no one's gonna think twice we got a cup here it's you know if they miss the playoffs though (laughs) well it's gonna suck yeah but what what are the chances of that what are the chances of that yeah 50 50 yeah i don't know they when's the last (laughs) time they missed it what three years ago teams missing the nhl yeah okay i mean Ovi comes back a few pounds overweight yeah hung over still oh yeah from a summer of complete partying, right. doesn't give nearly as much of a shit about stuff, and maybe this year, maybe next year they they will be suck. It's a long season, though. I know it it's is. It's a really long season. Next year we're going to be <laughs> suck because we're going to be hungover. <laughs> how about that? How about how long that party lasted? That was fantastic. Now, when I met with you on your deck, I forgot had the parade happened yet? Uh, no. So 
Give me your thoughts on the parade, Andy. I enjoyed it. I was at Ninth and Constitution. Who are you with? Myself. Okay. Uh, I was on with the junkies. Working, working uh, for the station? No. I was on with the junkies that morning. Well, that's working. And, uh, and frankly, they spent quite a bit of time discussing whether they should go to their convertible rides in the parade by Uber or by Metro. Oh boy! Uh, but uh, okay. yeah, the junkies uh, got to ride in the parade in convertibles. Yeah, that's, they did. Which that's good for quite them. a quite a feather in their cap, you know, for four kids yeah. from Bowie. Yep. who started out with a cable access show. Right, it was great. I mean, a good Cinderella for, story yep. for lurching the boys. Good, good for them. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, I rode the metro with them over there, and then they went to go onto their cars. So I just uh, you know followed the red and made my way down to Ninth and Constitution, which was towards the end of the parade route. And uh, so I was able to see early in the parade. Now, I had to wait like 40 minutes for the parade to get to me. I think I was close to you. I think I was on 7th and Constitution. You were right at the end then because that's I think that's that's where it ended up. Yeah, I didn't go to the end. So I stayed there, and uh, I saw Joe B. and Locker go by. I saw Ron Weber uh, go by. I saw all these guys too, Andy. Yeah. Anything else interesting? But I didn't see Al Koken in one of those convertibles, and that bothered me a little bit until at the end of the parade I saw he was on the – final bus with Ovi oh, he was. and the cup oh, good. and Ted Leonsis. Good, because they let everybody and their mom be in that goddamn parade. <laughs> like, seriously, that was the one thing that annoyed me that... You really? Oh, you thought there were that many? Andy, how many random people were in the parade, either on buses or walking? Well, I saw a busload of original Caps fans, season ticket holders since 94. Okay. One woman was wearing a Guy Chiron jersey, which I thought was wow. impressive. Yeah. Guy Chiron. So that was nice. Uh, there were families. There were They spread the players out. Some of the players got off the buses and high-fived Too the fans. Too many fan. randos. But who were like, the randos? You don't know, because they're <laughs> randos. They were people. You're like, who is that? Yeah. Why are they there? And some floats only had one or two players on it. Others had more right. floats. Buses, whatever. Double-decker buses. I also didn't like the fact that civilians were allowed to wear replica jerseys. Oh. They should have been told. Oh, here we go. Listen to you. Oh, yeah. oh, the tables turn on the fl- on the pr- on the buses. Oh, on the Andy on the buses where you are having a hard time picking out as a fan who who yeah. is that? Yeah, you yeah. should not wear a replica jersey. Welcome if- home. No, not home. Yeah, you're seeing it my way. If you wear somebody else's jersey, especially when you get to be my age, you look like a schmuck. No, Andy, it's totally different. It's a matter of. For visual impact, Mm -hmm. every bus should have had two or three of our heroes of the hockey team in their jerseys, and everybody else should have been wearing something else. A white T-shirt that says champs on it. You hand out the T-shirts for the civilian schmoes, Mm -hmm. the randos, and the nobodies, and the hangers-ons, and the friends of the friends of the friends, so that the heroes stand out. You can't miss them. Oh, look at that. Yes. There's but, Adam Oates. Or but, not Adam. There's uh, uh, Oshi. Oh, look, there's Beagle. Oh, look, there's DSP. But part of the culture of the uh, fan experience of going to a game is wearing a jersey. I'm amazed when I go to Capitals games what percentage of the crowd is wearing jerseys. You know I didn't want any randos waving at me. Okay. Well, did you get insulted? Did you say, hey, who are you? Are you a hockey person? Andy, it's not that I was insulted. I just looked up at the bus going, you're just a random person <laughs> who knows somebody who knows somebody. Like, so I don't like I don't want to look at you or wave at you or pump my fist at you. Shut up. Give me the players. If you were invited to be on the parade, if you were invited to be on one of the buses, would you have turned it down? Because people would say, who is that guy? 
I would have kind of been a little bit embarrassed. Really? Okay. I, I'm a purist. I believe that I, I wouldn't have touched the cup, and apparently Ovi is telling everyone he takes the cup to touch it, yeah. hold it, hug right, it, right. kiss it, mm-hmm. lift it up, have fun with it. That's the greatest trophy in sports. Why it not? It is. But doesn't that pawing of Lord Stanley <laughs> cheapen it to some degree? No, I think it enhances the experience of fandom okay. that you get to touch the cup. I like okay. that. All right. Uh, what did you think of Mickelson? Uh, I'd now, love to hear your thoughts on this one. Now, Andy, by the way, tried golf yeah. around 2005 yeah. and took lessons. Mm-hmm. And decided after a brief uh, stint, not for me, yeah. and quit the game with no regrets. Right. No bitterness, no hostility. You don't yeah. hate golf. You like watching it, yeah, especially on Sundays if the old red shirt Tiger Woods is in contention. Right. And you'll watch the majors, so you're not anti-golf, but that's what Andy did. He tried it, wasn't for him, and he quit. What would you think of Mickelson? Well, I mean, it, it was it was clearly, as, as he admitted on Wednesday, yes. uh, an act of anger and disrespect. And, but he didn't admit that right away. Yeah, and that was bad. That was bad. that. That was really bad. Douchey. Yeah, that was. I mean, <laughs> as all the golf people said while it was happening, well, he needs to apologize for this. And he came up with this lameo excuse of, "Oh, I understood it was a two shot penalty, and it was I a knew strategic it was, move. Yeah, it was going to roll right off the green. So I thought, and rather than take a drop, oh, come on, stop it! <laughs> and now you're, you've never been a huge Mickelson fan. I've right? waffled. Yeah, I've waffled because at times I've been all in, I've been liking this guy, yeah. and then he'll do something that makes you roll your eyes and makes you wonder what a douchebag this guy is. I didn't like how he threw Tom Watson under the bus mm-hmm. at the Ryder Cup a couple years ago, a couple cycles ago over in uh, Glen Eagles, yeah. because it was literally on the dais on Sunday after they had just lost. Right. It took away all the shine from the European team that had won that Ryder Cup fair and square. They were the better team. And it was a petulant tirade that Mickelson did because he knew he has the backing in the media. That's the one thing Mickelson has smartly done. By dealing with the media in a way that is accessible and professional, and by being a fan favorite, he's got clout. And he's now using that and trying to use that for, for purposes that you know are pretty much his own agenda. Hates the USGA. And so he knew that he would still get fans to cheer him on after slapping the ball around the green like Happy Gilmore. Which he did. Fans on Saturday and Sunday, Phil, you're great. How's it going? Well, because all of you guys who play have done that, right? Yes. Yes. Not in competition, though. No, but you you can relate to the anger that he was feeling at the time. 100%. We also relate to the fact that thousands upon thousands of pro golfers have never done that. In right. competition. Right, right. And would never... Th- Can you imagine Jack, oh, Jack would Andy? never do Jack could never do that. What, what would Jack say? Well, that's uh, dis- dis- disrespecting the game. Would never do that. In fact, I would have just hit a flop shot and got it on the green and played my golf ball. So I don't... And what would Barbara... Whenever you do your Jack, I like <laughs> hearing like you mention Barbara. Barbara. Yeah. yeah. Barbara, she, she, she... I'd have been sleeping on the sofa for sure. <laughs> Uh, no. Well, Mickelson's, Mickelson did come back. Well, his, a, wife, his wife came out before he did. On Sunday. And, and said he so was. It wasn't his finest moment. Yeah. Mm. Well, maybe his wife got to him and said, look. Yeah. This, you know, this, because we got apology, kids. You know, the kids are probably getting a bunch of crap at school about that. You know. Right. Because don't you think, you being a non-golfer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that what he did was kind of cheating? It was. Well, right. it wasn't cheating in that yeah. he took the two-stroke penalty, but it was disrespectful to the game. He broke a rule on purpose. Most golf rules 
are broken inadvertently. Okay. Like, the the rules of golf are such that, yes, you may know you get penalized, but you right. don't try to oh, break I see. the rule, right? Oh, okay. I, I, didn't, I don't know don't that Don't you part. think? I, I, well, it would just seem to me a guy of his stature, knowing the game as he did, uh, would know that that was disrespectful. And he also... Uh, he also could have been disqualified. In fact, he also should have been disqualified, which if he was any other player, he would have almost certainly been disqualified. And if he were another player, uh, even though he is you know, not going to win the tournament, they want that money from playing four days in a row. Mm-hmm. And so they need that money. They don't take getting DQ'd lightly. They wouldn't do it just because their ball's rolling down the green. But he, he could afford to do that, obviously, for... Richie. Well, yeah, of course. And, and, and look, and it, the same guy that skipped last year's U.S. Open for what? A graduation. Yeah. Although he thought he could fly there at the last minute. Yeah, he's uh, like, I hope. He's like, I hope I get a late tee time so I can make it here. Let, let me ask you this: John Daly has done similar things, right? Did it once at Pinehurst, but he did it. He DQ'd himself. He just walked oh, okay. off the course. So by, by by taking himself out, because there is had a Mickelson si- DQ'd himself and said, you know what? Had Mickelson said afterwards, look, I screwed up. I lost my cool. I'm embarrassed. Shouldn't have happened. Uh, even though the USGA said it's two-stroke penalty, I'm withdrawing because I felt it was not in the spirit of the rules. I'll do better next time. Then a lot of people like me would have said, okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. You lost your mind. You okay. got hot-headed. But instead, he made it worse. Yeah, he, he lied. That's, so, that's, yeah, so now, he's, now he's, here's the quote. I know this should have come sooner, but it's taken me a few days to calm down. My anger and frustration got the best of me last week, and I'm embarrassed and disappointed by my actions. It was clearly not my finest moment, and I am sorry. At least, Andy, he used those two words that are the necessary ingredients ingredients in any apology. I'm and sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many apologies in sports do you recall in which the words I'm sorry never appear? Well, they appear, but they are preceded by if I have offended anyone, I'm sorry. They might even say if, I'm a, if I offended anyone, I regret it. Yeah. They don't say I'm sorry. Mm. So many sports apologies never say yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Anything else in the world of sports this week that is uh, on your mind? Uh, let's see. As we head towards the doldrums. Well, we, summer, we, are, we are in the midst of a terrible Bryce Harper slump. And yes. Shaved his beard. Yeah. Now he did Might have as a, well shave your beard when you're slumping. He did have a double against the Orioles, but the Orioles pitching stinks. Um, <laughs> you know, is, is this a classic case of the pressure of, of what he wants to do, go play for the Yankees and make $400 million. Is that, is that getting to him? I don't know. I mean, this is, you know, the, we were having two years ago, Trout and Harper debates. We don't have those anymore. Do you know the season Trout is having? Trout is having what could be the greatest season in the history of baseball. And the angels keep sinking further and further out West. They're not going to make the playoffs, which is hard to even fathom, but yeah, I will, uh, I will credit Al Goli for this tweet. Uh, the way they're getting play out of Juan Soto on home runs. Oh, would, Harper's gone. Yeah, but gone. If, if you had money that you were keeping in a chest to sign him, would you give that to Manny Machado? Yeah, I know. I saw that. So that'd be pretty ballsy, right? Let's well, go make a move for Machado because we already have a surplus of outfielders. Right. Get a bigger bat in the infield. And Trey Turner is probably a more natural second baseman. Daniel Murphy's in the last year of his you contract. Him, yeah. He's going to go. And so you not only take care of the infield situation, but you really stick it to Angelos, who's sticking it to you still in the uh, Masson dispute. Yeah, that'd yeah. be interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then finally, Andy, uh, looks like these ESPN shows oh. are not doing well. 
ESPN just sent out a release on Wednesday that their Sports Center with our friend Sage Steele, who we like very much, yes. does a great job with Kevin Nagande, is up 19% from a year ago. From a show that was an embarrassment, let's be honest. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, but Jamel Hill and Mike Smith, uh, Mike Smith, Michael Smith? Yeah, Mike, Michael Smith. Michael Smith. Yeah. I called him Mike Smith. I was yeah. like, wait a minute. That he's he's right. completely off the network, but Jamel being Hill paid. Jamel is appearing periodically. They both have massive contracts, but that is really... Talk about, like, hey, can you not crow about this so much, please? Well, they got to because the get-up ratings are still abysmal. Well, the get-up ratings, get-up got less than 200,000 viewers one day last week, which even for the doldrums of summer is a new low for ESPN programming they never envisioned. Yeah. And this new, new the High Noon, have you watched High Noon no. with Pablo Torre and Bomani no. Jones? No. Why not? I find myself watching less and less ESPN. I watch, <laughs> P, I watch PTI. Okay. Um, I watch a little bit of SportsCenter. But the uh, the other debate shows don't don't really interest me. You know, High Noon, it's got good production value. It's filmed differently in 24P format, so it looks a little filmish. They've mm. got different angles. But at the end of the day, it's still two guys talking sports. Yeah. And it's two guys that aren't like guys' guys. Is it an hour? The, uh, I don't even know. Because these shows have gotten longer and longer. I know, to fill the time. It might be a full hour. Whatever the case is. They're not guys, guys. You know, Bomani Jones fashions himself a uh, socio-intellectual. Uh, right. Pablo Torre went to Harvard, I guess. He's mm-hmm. very smart. But that's like the nerd table at yeah. the cafeteria of sports. The cool table is Lebetard and Stugatz and his crew. Right. That's the one show that if they were cafeteria tables, you'd be like, I want to go hang with those yeah, guys because right. they actually have fun. They rip on each other. Yep. They don't take all this shit too seriously. Hey, uh, there's a seat by Bomani Jones and Pablo Torre. <laughs> nah, no thanks. Well, but but you know, while Lebetard is is Cuban, uh, there is a demand to have two eth- different ethnicities sure. on on that type of show. Well, and, and here's the thing: just get Le- Lebetard is more of a guy's guy, though. Yeah, so you can tick the boxes of ethnicity. But you can't have nerds. I mean, <laughs> Pablo Torre is a dweeb. Yeah, he might I, be the nicest guy ever. He might be the smartest guy ever. Well, He's, he's smart. not a guy's guy. Well, as we tape this, I'm looking behind you on the screen, and there's Adrian Wojnarowski, who looks like the biggest nerd of all, but oh, he's got yeah. all the NBA scoops. I know. So, and, and it's going to be a hell of a summer. Where's LeBron going? LeBron James is going back to Cleveland. Get out! Yeah, yeah. After you all, you and Murray think the same thing. You yeah. said the same thing to me yesterday. Because because cast. he he's the there's G- nowhere else to go. Well, no, he's the GM of the team. I don't know if he can be the GM of the team anywhere. Know. So he'll he'll decide what trades they want to make. Who wants to, who he wants to coach the team. Some say he's not quite the GM. That you know mm. he wanted David Griffin to stay, mm. and they got rid of Griffin. And this new guy I, made some deals he didn't like. Okay, I think he's going to Lakers. But I think we'll I think Paul that. George winds up in Cleveland. How fun. bad is it that our Wizards are not even in the conversation? Because we should be a ready-made spot, no, but a hot landing spot where a team right on the edge of being pushed over in a world-class city, a capital city, and nobody wants to come here still. Right. Well, they, they, first of all, they don't have the money to do it. They got five, $100 million committed to five players. Only two of them are all-star caliber. Okay, but we have the money in that we could give somebody back. That would balance out. Well, you can't you can't deal. trade John Wall. His contract is too big. Trade Beal. Trade Beal. Okay, what are you getting? Nobody back? wants Porter because Porter, Porter is way overpaid. Right. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is all these other cities that have designs on either LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George, etc. They've got limitations too. They've got you know hoops to jump through. Mm-hmm. 
My point is we're not in anyone's discussion. Well, that to me is an embarrassment. When's the last time a big time free agent landed here? Never. Uh, okay. Never. And, but, and, and and it's what it, you've been saying for years. There are certain NBA cities, which A-league are cities, B league cities, yeah. C league cities, and the D league, which is actually the real D league. Boston, the Lakers, Cleveland gets relevant only because LeBron is there. I know, but some cities have risen up to be destination cities, like, like Houston, like Golden State. Okay, but you, you, okay, you, we, we should be a city that a star wants to come to. Yeah, if if you get lucky, like Golden State with three draft picks, Clay Thompson. Curry and Draymond Green, all way lower than they should have been, especially Green. Yep. Then you get lucky, and then people like Durant say, "Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll join there." But that doesn't happen, and that's yeah. what that's what. If this pick, if the Wizards use this fifteenth pick, and he turns out to be a superstar like Clay Thompson or something like that, then maybe. But reality Andy, is that's not going to happen. Ernie is picking it. Your boy, Ernie. Yeah. Well, the fifteenth pick is not going to be a superstar. No. It'll be a miracle if he can even tie his shoes without well, spraining an ankle. He he has busted on like six with Vesely, <laughs> but but you gotta say you know his Beal draft and Wall history sucks. Well, but Beal and Wall were good picks. Wall, it was they were one and two, one and or three, one and three. Yeah, yeah. better make those picks. Yeah, Otto Porter, not a terrible three, uh, but not a great three. Andy Poland, my longtime partner, Andy Poland's DC podcast. Uh, find archived episodes of the podcast wherever podcasts are distributed right andy yeah, and we're hoping to make come back in the fall see what okay happens. very good we'll talk to you next week andy thanks thank you all right we'll end with this today if it seems like you're seeing more and more stories of women being groped on airplanes you are correct if you are worried about it however well you probably shouldn't be in addition this further plays into my southwest airlines i choose you theory of the optimal boarding group on good old Southwest Airlines. First of all, this story out of Baltimore, the FBI is warning about a serious federal crime that's on the rise, even though many incidents are probably not being reported. They are sexual assaults on airline flights. Even though they are relatively rare, agents said, the number of reported cases has increased in recent years. More on that relatively rare in just a second. 2014, there were 38 cases of in-flight sexual assault reported to the FBI. Last year, the number increased to 63 reported cases. But officials believe the crimes are significantly under-reported. Okay, I'm not minimizing if you or your wife or your daughter or anyone you love was groped by a creepo on a flight or worse. Uh, It does happen. It's terrible. It's traumatic. I understand it. But... Let's look at the numbers. 63 reported cases last year. Well, let's say, and they're underreporting them, so you know, they believe that they are probably underreported. Okay, let's, let's take 10 times the amount of those cases, 630 cases. I had to do a quick Google search of, well, how many million, how many passengers are there per year flying in the United States alone? And I went to uh, first Google result was airline or air travel facts, and they had all the numbers about flights and people and passengers and miles. They say about 2.5 million passengers fly in the USA of alone every day. And then when you multiply that by 365 days, that's 912 million or thereabouts passenger flights per year. And then using my oh-so-stellar command of mathematics, I said, well, 
let's divide 63. No, let's divide 630. Because remember, I'm, I'm increasing it to tenfold. 630 cases divided by 912 million zero 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 zero. What percentage is that? And the number is 0.00000069% chance of getting groped on a passenger flight. Oh, 69, huh? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> just, eh, just how the numbers came out. Honest to God. You can do the math on that. I think that's... Uh, that's like way less than one percent. It's it's like one one thousandth of one percent. One one million. I don't even know. I don't even know. It's 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 less than. Well, let's see. Nine hundred twelve million passenger flights a year. At most, we're saying six hundred thirty or so attack. It's it's very rare. But here's the thing: nobody wants to go through it. And here's why. Once again. Here's the best way to fly on Southwest. You get a boarding group, right? A, B, C. The best is supposedly A. You get your choice of seats, whether it's uh, against a bulkhead or a window or an aisle or blah, blah, blah. I learned the hard way, as I talked about on my show a couple years ago, that you don't want to get put next to two dudes or two crazy chicks that you don't want to be next to. Because I did on a flight home from Vegas one year, and it, it was touch and go. It was not not good. These two guys got so drunk, they were being such assholes. I was genuinely in fear that there was going to be a fight involving me and them. Uh, they would have probably worked my ass two-on-one, not fair, plus they were drunk rednecks. And then we'd land in Cincinnati, get diverted, I'd be on the news. Not Not a fun trip. So it was at that point I said, you know what, never again. I said, I'm going to lay back to the mid-Bs, maybe even the late-Bs, and I am going to choose you. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get a middle seat. I know that. I understand that. But I choose you. And so ever since that time, and I've taken maybe a half dozen Southwest Airlines flights, I've always laid back until the Bs. Even if I've got a, a late-A boarding pass by whatever reason, I'll just wait. I'll say, go oh, get on, get on, get on. And then once I'm on in the late B's, I get on that plane, I walk down that aisle, and I start scanning, scanning, scanning. And I will find a middle seat that has two petite women on either side. And I will put my ass right down in the middle. Now, they may not like it that a big mouth breather like me comes to sit between them, but hey, too bad. I choose you. Or I will sit you know, between two you know, very neatly dressed businessmen who I know are not going to be a pain in the ass. You get on Southwest Airlines with an A boarding pass, and you're like, all right, I got this great aisle seat where I want it. And then this plane starts filling up, and then, you know, someone, a friggin' lumberjack comes on at the last minute, 290 pounds, and sits in the middle seat next to you because guess what? There's no more seats. You are fucked. And that's how you do it on Southwest. Can you... Avoid being groped or sexually assaulted on other flights where you don't get to choose your seats? Probably not. Probably not, which I don't know if there's a way to ensure, you know, passenger. It'd be nice if passengers could say, look, I don't want to sit next to some mouth breather, some creepo, some guy that stinks of Marlboros and gin and tonics. Oh, what's that? Hold on. 
I'm touching my ear here. This just in the news. Oh, there, there is a wait. Oh, first class. Oh, oh, how much does that cost? Ooh, Ooh. Ooh. a little pricey there. Is there any other way I could get in the first class without paying that? Oh, oh, fly a lot. Oh, okay. How many, how many millions a month? Exactly. That'll be a wrap for today. You know the drill. Tell two friends. Hit up that Reddit thread about how great the podcast is. Leave a positive review and rating. Download, subscribe at all the major podcast outlets as well. And always remember, when retweeting what you think is a juicy Woj bomb tonight during the NBA draft, or maybe an Adam Schefter nugget over the summer, make sure it's actually them first and not a fake account that looks like them. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.